Welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for the Sharp End Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since the 1860s. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to the Colorado Hour Bound School for happily committing another year of podcast sponsorship as well. And finally, I'd like to welcome a new sponsor, Health IQ. I'll tell you a little bit more about Health IQ at the end of the show. You can show your support for this podcast and the American Alpine Club by joining or renewing with the AAC this month. And if you use promo code SHARPEND with no spaces at checkout, you can receive a free Sharp End trucker hat. And as an AAC member, you'll not only help make this podcast possible, but you'll also receive $12,500 in rescue benefit coverage, annual AAC publications, including Accidents North American Climbing, which is the book that I love, and great gear discounts. So go to www.americanalpineclub.org to make all that happen. Okay, well, I'd like to welcome Steve Smith to the show. Steve, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Sure, and before I introduce myself, I wanna say that being humble and sharing stories about mistakes and lessons learned is one of the best things that we can do to help each other as climbers and as human beings. And so I just wanna say I really appreciate that you took the initiative to develop this series of podcasts and that I really enjoy listening to them. So I'm happy to be on your show. Uh, my name is Steve Smith. I'm an outdoor program risk management consultant. I'm a former instructor, uh, hopefully a future instructor, but a former instructor and current board member for Outward Bound. And I serve as the climbing education manager for the mountaineers here uh, in Seattle where I live. But none of those things would have happened if I had not luckily and fortunately survived an accident in the Cascades 20 years ago, which is what I'm here to tell you about today. Well, it's good to meet you, Steve, and thanks again for being on the show. And yeah, go ahead and tell us what happened. Um, so setting the stage, uh, the story centers around Asgard Pass in the Alpine Lakes wilderness. It's sort of the gateway from Kolchuk Lake up into the Enchantments, which is this lovely high alpine basin uh, formed by a receding glacier. And it's snowy a lot of the year up there. And as it melts out, there's beautiful high alpine lakes. And it's just an absolutely spectacular um, part of the Cascades. Uh, up above the faux Bavarian town of Leavenworth, Washington, a, a lovely touristy little town. Uh, I love in, that town. Yeah, it's a cute little cute little town. A lot of my friends live there. Uh, and I've been adventuring around Leavenworth and up in the Stewart Range and in the Enchantments for 20 years and it's a lovely place. And nothing I'm about to say uh, is implying that it's anything but a lovely special place. I just happen to have a pretty uh, unfortunate incident there. Uh, I will say that Asgard Pass itself is a little bit infamous and, and becoming increasingly so. Uh, it's a site that has uh, tragically claimed the lives of three people in the past decade and two just in the last three years. 
Uh, I have tremendous empathy for people that lost their lives up there and their families and all affected by those incidents. So I'm hopeful that by sharing my experience, uh, we can we can educate people about some of the unique hazards of that that area. That's so, quite that's quite the number for um, ha- for incidents up there. Is it? Yeah. Have they been in the same spot? Exactly the same. Exactly the same spot, which is what we're going to focus on here. Hmm. <clears throat> So here's what happened. Um, it, this was back in 1998. So I was a young and fairly uh, new alpine climber, developing skills. Um, and uh, it was May of 1998, and my partner and I had left our camp at Kolchuk Lake bright and early uh, to hike up Asgard Pass and across the enchantment plateau to make an attempt on climbing the west ridge of Prusik Peak, which is one of the classic beautiful ridge climbs uh, in the area and really in the whole range. It was several hours away from our camp and uh, going up Asgard Pass, the snow was firm and the cloud cover made this uh, normal slog up to the top of Asgard Pass relatively pleasant for such a long grind. it was all snow covered and we hiked a few miles uh, over to our objective ridge that we were after and the weather looked changeable and generally my partner just wasn't feeling up for climbing Prusik Peak that day. So we made the decision to let go of our climbing objectives and just enjoy the day up in this high beautiful place. Um, a few words about my partner on this trip, um, he was great. And I don't blame him for anything that happened. Um, The accident that occurred was mine and mine alone. Uh, In fact, he was terrific uh, at assisting me once I um, had rescued myself. Uh, And back to the story, uh, we decided we weren't going to climb Prusik Peak. So we hiked back over to the top of Asgard Pass. And we were staring down thousands of feet towards the, the lake where our campsite was. And... Um, he went rocketing down the now softening snow slope in a very fast glissade heading back to camp. So I tend to glissade a little more slowly and carefully. Um, (laughs) and I hopped into his glissade track and I started sliding down the hill towards the lake. I had our climbing rack and food and water. He had our rope. And he was far ahead of me um, by the time I started to slowly glissade down this pleasant slope towards the lake. Uh, my helmet was clipped on the outside of my pack as I slowly slid down the snow. And I descended for hundreds and maybe even a thousand, over a thousand feet. I was enjoying the ride and my partner had blasted far ahead of me down towards the lake. I could hear the swoosh of the snow and feel the, the, the sun had come out. I could feel the sun on my face, and I was just really enchanted. Mm, yeah, yeah sounds actually down, quite nice. Oh, just lovely, right? <laughs> sliding down this lovely snow slope. Um, and I passed over this small little rise in the snow that was in front of me. It was a little bump in the snow that I couldn't see over the other side of it as it was kind of rolling hilly terrain on the way down. And suddenly everything went dark. It was abruptly deafening, loud, and 
soaking wet and freezing cold and I could not breathe. So what had happened? Uh, still following my partner's glissade path, I had actually dropped into a 30-foot hole in the snowpack where a waterfall was pouring over a cliff band and it was visible from above. So the waterfall pouring over a cliff band had melted out and carved this deep hole under the snowpack and that's where I had dropped into that hole. My partner had been going so fast that he actually launched over that hole and had safely landed on the other side. But I was glissading slowly and carefully and thoughtfully, and as a result, ironically, I plopped into the hole instead of launching over it. As I dropped into that hole, um, I hit my face on the downhill edge of the snow and losing my sunglasses and kind of stunning myself. Remember that my helmet was not on. It was clipped on the outside of my pack. Um, and I dropped 30 feet down into this waterfall that had melted out. It was a cold, dark chute of uh, snowmelt pouring over granite, and I wedged into this constriction at the bottom that was where the icy snow and the rock wall um, kind of came together in a constriction with water pouring through that slot. And I was suspended my feet were dangling and I was suspended like a crevasse fall almost. I was suspended above this deep dark hole below me where the water turned from, a from vertical to horizontal going under the snowpack. And I, could, I was wedged in there tight with water pouring in my face and I could just kind of feel that hole beneath me like tugging me down below the snowpack. And it was, I, I was kind of dazed and confused about what was happening and I couldn't breathe, but I could see light coming in from above me and uh, my head was just stuck in this flow of water and I couldn't get any air. So it was, I had gone from this lovely, idyllic, pleasant, you know, um, warm glissade in the sun to this absolutely desperate, loud, freezing cold um, place uh, and was abruptly stuck. So I found that I could create this air pocket by putting my head down and letting water flow on either side of my head. But the moment I lifted my head up to look around, it was back to not being able to breathe again. It was a pretty terrifying predicament as I realized what was happening. And it was disorienting. And I was kind of like freezing and drowning all at once. Um, so I thrashed around and I, I tried to just get myself loose in there but my pack was buckled at both the waist belt and the sternum strap. So I was unable to raise my arms up enough to even unclip myself from my, from my pack. I was also afraid that if I completely detached from my pack, that it would slip and that I would slip further down into this hole I was dangling in. And I would go completely down underneath the snowpack into this luge course of water and, you know, maybe shoot hundreds of, yards down below the snowpack and never be seen again until the snow melted in the spring. Could you could you see how far it went? I couldn't see it at all, um, but I could just feel my feet dangling and I could kind of tell that it was uh, changing underneath there, going from this, hor this vertical waterfall where I was stuck to turning horizontally and kind of flowing down underneath the snowpack. And uh, I just, I knew that I did not, wherever that led, 
you know, that I, that's not where I wanted to go. And I, I couldn't imagine myself surviving if I went for any further down into the hole. Um, that was just an intuition that I had. So as I thrashed around and as the water poured over me, I was reluctant to, to move. And I didn't want to go any deeper, but I didn't want to stay there and drown either. And I, I just hesitated, you know, and I was just kind of stuck there. And I actually began to relax and I began to feel just a sense of complacency and peace. And I could feel myself as I relaxed a little bit, I could feel myself slipping deeper into that constriction and my feet were dangling a little more. And I was just completely suspended by my pack at this point. My arms were kind of penned at my sides. And I just started to have this sense of acceptance. Um, it was becoming harder to create this air pocket to breathe and to look up towards the light that was coming in from above. Uh, I felt this real sense of, of quiet and, and peace in this dark, roaring, chaotic place. Um, so that was a little scary in hindsight. And suddenly I came to my senses a little bit and I had this desperate sense that I am becoming hypothermic and that if I don't do something, I'm going to be here forever. So I started to really desperately twist around and try to get my arms free. And I managed to get one of my arms up high enough to unbuckle my sternum strap. And the moment I unclipped my sternum strap, everything abruptly shifted and both arms were suddenly free. I was able to unclip my waist belt and was able to ch basically chimney between the snow, which was in front of me, and the rock, which was behind me. Uh, and I took my pack off. My pack had filled with water, and it felt like it weighed about 200 pounds, which is probably not true, but that's what it felt like. Um, and I was able to completely get free of my pack and wedge it in over to the side so I didn't lose it, but I separated from it. And I was able to just kind of chimney off to the side to down to skiers left, basically out of the flow of out of the direct flow of the waterfall. And now I was beside the waterfall and I was in this little snow chamber and I was able to collect myself and stand there. Um, my head was kind of pounding at this point. I wasn't sure if I was bleeding. My my sunglasses were gone. My ice axe was gone. Um, but what I could see gave me some hope. And there was this cavern that had been carved out by the, by the snow melt. And there were tunnels leading in multiple directions, kind of this little labyrinth of tunnels going a few different ways. Um, and there was also this rock wall that uh, I had fallen down that was leading back up to the light in the hole that I had fallen into. If only I could climb up there. I, I, I saw that I had options all of a sudden at a time when I didn't feel like I had too many just minutes earlier. So then what did you do? So the first thing I tried to do was to go back up the rock wall. I thought if I can just climb back up here, uh, I can pop out again. And as long as I don't get into the waterfall, maybe I can just climb right back out. It was steep, mossy, wet, loose granite. Um, it was quite slick, uh, slippery. And after going up a little ways, it became really um, blank and slick and unclimbable in my, in my soaking wet boots. I was afraid that if I fell trying to climb, that I would go so deep into that cavernous hole underneath me that I would just never be seen again. I was afraid of falling you know, all the way down. And I didn't want to, but I gave up and I reluctantly climbed back down to that little air pocket I had found beside the waterfall. 
And um, there was no way out by going back up. So I figured I'm going to have to look somewhere else. So my ice axe had fallen all the way down in the original fall that I took. So that was gone. And all I had were my hands at this point, basically, for digging. And I'm sure they're so, frozen. Well, they're, they're about to be worse because I, I basically had these fleece gloves that, I, that were in my pocket. So I put those on. And I started crawling into one of these horizontal ice, icy tubes that had kind of melted out underneath the snowpack. And when the tube came to a dead end, um, it was hard to tell, am I climbing horizontally or vertically or diagonally? You know, am I going deeper? Like, I, it was really dis disorienting, and it was hard to tell what direction I was crawling. But I followed this tube to, to its end, and when it dead-ended, I just started to dig. Um, with my gloves and the snow was really firm and consolidated under there um, and it was quite frozen and soon my fleece gloves had completely fallen apart um, as I tunneled my way forward um, eventually much to my delight um, a crack of light appeared and I kept digging and I was suddenly you know able to burst out back into the sun and I popped out of this hole that I dug um, in, into this bright sunlight on the snowpack. I was about 40 feet away from where I had fallen into the hole downslope. Um, and I looked up the hill, and my partner had come back up the hill and had his back to me, and he was screaming down into the hole that I had fallen into. He would figured out what had happened, and he was desperately trying to make contact with me and see if I was alive or what had happened. And he couldn't see me or hear me down there 40 feet behind him. I had popped out on the snowpack, you know, far away from where he was. Uh, and eventually he turned around and, and saw me down there and came to my assistance. But I, w I remember laying there in the sun, kind of blinking, you know, completely soaking wet and hypothermic. And my hands were, you know, bloody and frozen. And my gloves were completely shredded. And I just couldn't believe, you know, what had happened and that I was so fortunate, you know, to be able to miraculously um, just find a way um, that led out from that predicament. So it really was just this sense of um, flopping out onto the snow in a state of shock and, and, and relief and, and disbelief. And, and love and appreciation for what that sun must feel like on your face again. The sun felt pretty good. I, I do. I yeah. do remember that. Yes. And and my partner had warm, he had dry clothes for me and a fleece hat and all kinds of things like that. He was very great about quickly coming to my assistance as best he could. It was pretty scary and sort of reacting. You know, it was definitely a, a time of um, human human desire to survive, I guess, is really what what kicked in. That's been a pretty powerful instinct that has been a common thread through a lot of the interviews that I've done so far um, is is the survival instinct to make it out no matter what it takes. Um, and the glissading point, too, that you talked about, um, you were going so slow and you were going controlled. And that's what we talk about doing in the mountains when we're glissading isn't, isn't going super fast and out of control. But in this case, you going slow made you fall in the hole. So can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah, it's great. Um, I think the biggest thing was not that I was going slow and in control. I don't think that was a bad thing I was doing. It was more about the route finding itself and some other factors. So I've come up with a handful, as you can imagine, in the 20 years since this happened, I've had a chance to reflect on it a bit. <laughs> and there are several factors that, that most contributed to the incident occurring. Um, first and foremost, I would say, was my state of mind. Um, so we had made a conservative decision earlier in the day not to climb Prescott Peak. Um, and having made that decision not to climb, suddenly it was like the day was over and I had slipped into this lackadaisical and complacent state and I let my guard down to some extent. And that really contributed to my glissade technique. There's several things that I mm -hmm. do differently now when I glissade. So I was pretty careless in my glissading. Um, I don't think it's problematic that I was going nice and slow. Um, there were some factors, though, um, that that were uh, indicators that I did not have the right mindset. So I had my ice axe out, but my gloves were in my pocket and my helmet was clipped outside of my pack, not on my head. It's no good to carry your helmet. It's better to wear your helmet, <laughs> um, especially when you've got a sharp implement in your hand and you're going with any speed down, as you know, moderately steep alpine slope. So it's kind of an obvious mistake and a carelessness to be glissading like that. Um, I was also letting my partner lead the way. And so I was not paying nearly as much attention to the big picture of where we were going. You know, the reason why there's a waterfall there is because the terrain naturally funnels people and water to that spot. And of course, you know, if you stood at the top of that slope and dropped a tennis ball, it would go into that same waterfall <laughs> because the terrain naturally funnels you there. Um, that's why there's a waterfall there. And so I had the wrong mindset, just kind of allowing my partner to set the glissade path. And he was lucky. You know, he was going so fast. He blasted right over that hole. But that was more incidental. Um, and I allowed myself to glissade over this ridge where I couldn't see the run out below and immediately dropped into that um, that trap. So a uh, fourth factor in the glissading was me you know, kind of being aware that he was ahead of me and going much faster and to some extent trying to keep up with him and not necessarily stopping at each little bump and looking around and not, not doing due, dil due diligence in terms of situational awareness. So all those factors, you know, like letting my partner um, influence the manner in which I glissaded was, was a real, uh, a real contributing factor to that, that incident. And a, another specific thing about this hazard, and I think one of the reasons why it has been so consequential for people is that it really is quite imperceptible. Um, after I fell into that hole, I had a burning desire to learn from it and to see what I did wrong. And I hiked back up the hill above the waterfall to try to see, you know, what did I miss? What, what, what did I miss here? And I was able to get to within a few feet of the waterfall, even once I knew it was there and it was completely invisible from above and it was completely inaudible. I couldn't hear it or see it, uh, even a few feet away because it was totally hidden and muffled by just the nature of the snowpack there. Um, so that was a very surprising and useful lesson about how such really critical hazards can be hard to, hard to detect, even when you know that they're there. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a good one. Um, I think relatively few of your listeners overall will will probably find themselves at Asgard Pass at this particular place. But I think um, there's a few specific lessons, you know, that can be extrapolated to any alpine climbing pursuit. Um, one of them is just not letting your guard down, not being complacent like I like I did. Um, another one is identifying hazards throughout your day, not just in the moment. Because I had hiked up Asgard Pass earlier that same day. I had hiked near that same waterfall on the ascent, and it just didn't register that that would be a um, hazard for me on the way down. Um, I was thinking more about the climb or what gear I was going to use on Prussic Peak or I was thinking about other things and I wasn't registering hazards on my way up so that I was more easily caught off guard when I was descending that same terrain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's a good one. And the last one I'll share here is just the power of humility and how eager climbers really are to be supportive of people humble enough to share their mistakes. So I wrote a blog post about this experience I had on Asgard Pass um, last year on the Mountaineers website where I work. And the post was quickly viewed over 24,000 times within just a few weeks. Yeah, it was one of the most highly viewed posts of the entire year for the Mountaineers website. Um, It was the second most viewed post of the year, with the first being an announcement regarding Fred Becky's memorial service. So interesting. Yeah, it was remarkable how quickly people and how positive and encouraging and grateful all the comments and um, people's responses. I did receive, um, in general, as I've shared the story around that website and blogs and and other um, podcasts and things like this, uh, generally I've gotten really grateful and gracious comments and a few derisive and judgmental ones. And I want to encourage people to continue to speak up and share their mistakes and to remind internet critics who are quick to bash others to be careful about assuming that you won't be the next one. Um, right. You're more likely to be next if you don't humbly take these kinds of lessons to heart. And if you're, behavior inhibits other people from their willingness to share their stories, then that uh, makes it even more likely that you'll not, uh, that you'll be next. So, you know, armchair alpinists can be quick to judge or vilify others, and it doesn't help to create an environment of humility and learning. Um, That's the whole point of accidents in North American climbing and of your podcast, Ashley, and I'm just grateful that you create a forum where um, people do have this opportunity to to learn from each other and to be supportive uh, uh, in as a climbing community of those who come forward to to share their their learning. And I hope that we can continue to respectfully um, take those lessons to heart and, and be grateful uh, to folks who who do make mistakes and are able to you know distill the lessons from those. What can we do to help? What can we do to prevent? How can we prevent this from happening again? And and hopefully, I hope, I hope, I hope, because you were on the show today, I I wish nothing more than people will listen to this podcast and, you know, there won't be any more fatalities on this pass in the future because they've there's, like you said, there's already been three in the last how many years? 
three in the last 10 years and two in the last three years. But I do have some good news on that front, actually, if I can transition. Yeah, please. If you're right. Um, so there has been a, a, a series of tragic incidents here, obviously, and it's for all the reasons I shared. The, the terrain naturally funnels people to that spot. Um, there's just a few weeks out of the year after it starts to melt out, but before the snow is completely gone, where this waterfall really is an issue for people. And it's a high volume, high traffic area. Lots of people um, go through there. And it's it, it, it's likely that this kind of thing would happen again, just because of the nature of the terrain and the high volume of people traveling in that terrain. However, I believe that education is um, a huge factor in helping to prevent things like this from happening. So um, with support from the Mountaineers, the Leavenworth Mountain Association, and the families of some of the victims, I was able to help the Forest Service in Leavenworth design and post some advisory signage at the trailhead with a clear image showing the hazardous area, the specific area where the waterfall is. Um, it's really only an issue for a few weeks out of each year, but if we can make sure people are advised about that um, as they arrive at the trailhead and as they're getting ready to hike up to that lake, there's a really clear sign now that, um, and I can send you an image of this for your website uh, if you'd like people to get to see it. Uh, I was really proud that the Forest Service took the initiative um, and was receptive to uh, the, the ideas to, to to create this signage. And I hope that it helps people be more situationally aware about this very specific, unique, high consequence hazard that's there. I also wanna say that I, I don't think we, we should put signs up at every single possible place in the wilderness where there's hazard. The wilderness is full of hazard. And I don't think we should legislate safety or in any way try to sanitize risk you know, out of our wilderness experience. But I, I do know that this specific area has a really high severity, high probability of repeat accidents, uh, and that education and awareness is the key to accident prevention in the wilderness. And I'm glad that there's a sign you know, at the trailhead that is now um, hopefully uh, going to help people notice that waterfall on their way up so that they're less likely to be surprised by it on the way down. Um, so there's a little piece of good news. Uh, I'll say to the families that lost people there that I can vividly imagine what it must have been like for that victim, you know, going into that hole. And my heart really goes out to folks um, who've lost um, their loved ones there. And it's my hope that this um, podcast and educating people about uh, these kinds of um, educating people about this and the new signage at the trailhead all can work together so that the people who lost their lives up there did not lose them in vain and that there can be, you know, people continuing to really enjoy all the great things that come from um, wilderness uh, recreation and the enchantments in particular without the unintended consequences uh, of um, more accidents at that um, that spot. So again, Ashley, just really appreciate you making time to have me on your show and to hopefully help others uh, benefit from this remarkable, um, fortunate story uh, where I was able to, to survive something that a lot of people uh, did not. Well, thank you, Steve, so much for being on the show. And of course, thank you to the sponsors who make this podcast happen. 
Mammut, the Colorado Hour Bound School, and Health IQ. The Colorado Hour Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit www.cobs.org to plan your next adventure. So Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like climbers, alpinists, skiers, runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and more. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com backslash sharp, or just mention the promo code sharp when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Until next time, play hard and be smart.